e-commerce gold is brought to you by rewind accidents happen maybe you installed an app and it messed up your theme or a store collaborator deleted product images by mistake it's a common myth that shopify has a backup that you can use when something goes wrong with your store the fact is they don't that's untrue that myth is busted so what do you do you use rewind to equip your shopify store with automated backups Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. It's trusted by over 100,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like Nix, Lord & Taylor, and Moomin. It's even a Shopify Plus certified app. Best of all, visit rewind.com forward slash e-commerce gold and get your first month for absolutely nothing free on us. Econ Gold Podcast has partnered with Clearco to provide you with financial tools to grow your business without having to give away equity. Clearco is the world's largest e-commerce investor and growth platform, giving founders the financial tools, capital and network they need to grow. Plug in your Shopify store and your loan could be agreed within just 24 hours. Visit clear.co slash partner slash Vixxr, V-I-X-X-R for exclusive deals, £1,000 off your first loan as a podcast listener and more information. This show is brought to you in collaboration with Vixxr, a leading Shopify agency with a mission to grow and migrate brands to Shopify Plus. They work with some of the world's largest brands and can help you level up your e-commerce performance. Visit vixxr.com, V-I-X-X-R.com for more information. It's Sean on the Ecom Gold Podcast. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. We are hyped to have you on the show and we are very much looking forward to getting your insights um, about e-commerce. I first found out about you on Twitter. I think you're sort of definitely one of the top 10 if not maybe the top five, would you say, of people to follow in the e-commerce space? Well, that's very, that's very kind. Uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm a good follow. I mostly just post boring bullshit, but thank you. Thank you for liking it. Can you just tell anyone who is hiding under a rock who you are and uh, the company that you are representing on the show? Yeah, I'm Sean. I'm the CEO of a company called Ridge.com. Uh, we're a men's accessory brand. We make uh, minimalist metal goods. Um, you know, we're a very large e-com player. We'll, the past 12 months have done nine figures in revenue. Um, we're mostly known for our flagship product, the Ridge Wallet, but we're fast expanding into knives and key solutions and, you know, a bunch of cool stuff coming out in the next year. So no longer a wallet company. Uh, there's a thing called Forge Carbon, and it was made by Callaway and Lamborghini working together to make like a new material for sports cars and golf clubs. Uh, and now we make forged carbon, uh, you know, wallets or whatever. And I think, you know, in terms of dollar value, we're, we're one of the top carbon fiber sellers on earth. <laughs> like we sell so much of this stuff. And uh, that's kind of kind of got us thinking about like what, what we'd like to make and, you know, our, our aspirations, right? Like uh, we are the biggest wallet company, right? Uh, which very small pawns to be the biggest wallet company, right? But if you look at LVMH, you know, they do $30 billion a year off of bags and purses and, and, and wallets are included in that, right? But you wouldn't call LVMH a wallet company, right? They're a luxury brand, a lifestyle brand, whatever you want to call them. Um, so we're transitioning from a single product company to, to, to more of this, you know, lifestyle brand. 
the leading force of that is what can we make out of metal that's cool that's what we're trying to do so do you retain the talent the people that understand how to work with carbon internally is that do you have like a team that that is doing that for you or is that something you ship off to like a specialist to come up with these ways of i guess manipulating carbon i, I don't know how that works like how do you become like one of the top manufacturers of this particular type of carbon yeah that's a very interesting question i've never been asked before right but uh you know what's what's so interesting is that there's only a couple industries you're really competing with right so like if anyone's ever like tried to hire a product designer they usually come from cars or watches right like if you try to go hire somebody to do 3d rendering or engineering of physical products the the talent pools come out of the watch industry and the car industry right so like a lot of guys would tell like yeah like all i do is design cars right and they'll just like their entire career is just like doing grills on cars or whatever. Um, so that's like the professional track. And then the other side of that is like the maker track, which is like, there's a bunch of guys in the middle of the woods somewhere learning to forge metal, learning to, 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 to make stuff and sell it on Etsy or for Instagram or for their own good. Right. Um, and we try to pull from both of those. Right. So our, our we have an industrial designer who came from, you know, he's working for BMW in Europe and, uh, then he got into the watch space because that's his hobby. And now he makes product design for us. Right. Um, and then we have uh, like, like a, essentially like a product manager uh, who, uh, you know, had his own ring startup who has done all these different, like, you know, one-off projects working with manufacturers or whatever. So the, those two are like the, the professional side of it. And then we have a relationship with like a ton of like independent watchmakers and knife makers who are just tinkering around in their, in their, uh, sheds trying to find like the next cool material combination or whatever. Um, so we try to combine all of that together. And then obviously like there's, there's uh, when you get to the manufacturing stage, there's a lot of factory engineers that like help you actually make your one-off thing into something that can be made 10,000 times a day. But then there's also like a serendipitous aspect where we're working with, you know, various uh, just guys tinkering and they'll be like, Hey, look, we like, I always say to send me some of the coolest stuff you, you make. Right. Um, there's a good story that like, there's, there's something called Damascus, which is like titanium Damascus, which like Damascus is a material that like, you know, if you take steel and you fold it over a ton of times, you get these like very distinct, beautiful lines. Um, and there's like a, just some guy in Wisconsin or whatever made it out of titanium for the first time. It's super beautiful and it's burnt this amazing thing. So uh, if anybody's working on something cool like that, send it over to me and we'll, we'll, we'll make a wallet out of it. We'll make a knife out of it. We'll make whatever. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah. So we're trying to take everyday items that, that you might, you know, uh, you, you touch every day, you have to use every day, whatever. And we're trying to make them elevated in some way via carbon or metal or, or something else. Right. And, uh, no offense if people say we're a wallet company, we sold, I think 3 million of these wallets, right? So uh, for a long time, it was, it was it was paying the bills, but the next phase of the company is expanding past that. So what do you, I mean, is it fair to say that materials are one of your unique selling points in terms of like what gives you, um, you know, a, how you stand out? Is materials up there with, with what you prioritize in terms of like the products that you bring to market? Oh, 100%, because, you know, uh, our best-selling wallet is 100 and. 50 bucks or something, right? It has the same features as the $95 wallet, right? Like 
so people are choosing to upgrade because of aesthetic, because of material, because of whatever else, right? So like uh, we're not a feature gated product. So if you think about, you know, MacBooks, right? Like I, I, I'm on one right now and there's different price points have different features gated or like specs gated, right? Like if you want the most powerful one, it's more expensive, right? Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. It takes more to make or whatever else, right? Um, but the rich wall doesn't work like that. The, the, the features are functionally the same. If you buy the cheapest version, the most expensive version, you're really pay, making an aesthetic choice or material choice. Right. And in that aspect, I think we're the first company to like approach wallets more like jewelry. Right. Or should say the first company, I think, I think we're, uh, early to that approach. Right. Where like, you know, you could buy a wallet from walmart or a wallet from lvmh or gucci or whatever and they functionally are the same but you're, you're making some sort of aesthetic or uh material choice right and I, th- I think the ridge wall functions the same way so uh it sells to just like a a different cross-section of society right uh p- people who are making that aesthetic choice for whatever reason how do you convince people to even part with the less expensive option when they may not have even seen or touched one? Like what is your tactic there? Cause you don't offer like free trials, obviously you do returns, but like how do you market something that is based on the quality and the feel of the materials to people that are unable to touch and feel the product? You know, we've sold 3 million of them. Very few people have touched them before they bought them. Right. Uh, we're in, in the U S we're probably in like a thousand different, doors, right? Like Nordstrom's is a big account, Shields, whatever, but that represents less than 5% of the business, right? Most of the business is digital and most of those people haven't touched it, right? They're, 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 they're spending a hundred dollars plus on something like they've never experienced. That's functionally different than other wallets. Um, so how are we doing that? Uh, I think, I think a lot of marketing spend helps, right? Like, you know, if they've never seen one in person, right, we can blast them over the internet, right? You know, we, we have a very robust uh, influencer program. So maybe that's a touch point, right? We do, uh, you know, direct mail campaigns. We run TV ads. We do all of these things, with all the, like, you know, outside of just traditional digital channels to have a lot of touch points to convince people they should try it. Um, and then it's just really hitting on uh, the unique selling points, as you said, right? Like uh, reinforcing that if they don't like it, they have a very long time to return it and we'll give them all their money back. Doesn't matter if they, they scuff it up or use it or whatever, like trying to make the, the adoption as easy as possible, uh, hitting on the lifetime guarantee. It's like the reason why it's made out of metal and there's screws in it is because if anything happens, you can swap out any of those pieces and this wallet should last you forever, right? Um, and then just just playing up like the the actual benefit. I think on social, it's so easy. Uh, you know, most people have a wallet that they're sitting on that's you know this big or whatever, right? Like it's massive. And our ads, we can hold up that wallet and be like, "This is what you currently have. This is what you could have. It's better, right?" And it's just a very easy visual sell. Um, you know. We're, we we sell a lot of wallets. I'm not worried about any other wallet company or any other wallet competition because uh, that's not who we're competing with. There's a lot of companies that come out and like, you can tell a lot of people have thought really hard about trying to make different and unique wallets. And it's like, at the end of the day, we're trying to convince someone who has a big leather wallet to switch over because that's 85, 90% of the market, right? Um, and 
it's also amazing. I was just at VidCon. We have a booth there. We sponsor a lot of influencers. So I was at VidCon walking around. I saw the giant you know, car, uh, the giant wallet. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. So we, we, we were there and we were hanging out and, you know, our booth probably had two, three, four thousand people walk up to it throughout. And it's shocking how little people knew about us. You know what I mean? Like we can do hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. We can sponsor. I mean, we're at a place where we sponsored people. Like we are a big sponsor in the influencer space and 90 plus percent of people are like, so what's Ridge Wallet? Like <laughs> what's going on? And it just, Does that hurt, it just Does that you, hurt you when that happens? You just get a bit of pain when that happens? Or are you yeah. like, shit, this is a bigger time than we thought? <laughs> Yeah, it gets it gets me so excited. Yeah, because the opportunity is massive. You know what I mean? We haven't sold that many wallets to women, and uh, the amount of wallets sold every year it's like fifty billion dollars. It's like the the biggest TAM ever, right? So as we started tackling like uh, more of the accessory space and like really trying to become like a Mont Blanc competitor, it's like oh, our our TAM's like a trillion dollars that we're going after, which is like you know most VC companies raising money don't have any anywhere close to the, the the ceiling that a consumer brand has so um anyway lo, lo, long way to answer the question how do we get people to to convince to, to, to try a wallet and it's it's a lot of stuff coming together good visual ads uh you know i think we have a good reputation at this point making it very easy to say yes and opt into it and then uh, a ton of ad dollars youtube is definitely obviously one of the big touch points for you is there any others are you playing around anywhere else so i mean uh the new kid on the blocks tiktok i think we have hundreds and hundreds of millions of views on tiktok um we do a lot of influencer sponsorships there uh you know as the world's been pretty crazy on the digital side for the past two years right since privacy since you know facebook uh, being harder for a lot of brands. We've, we've been able to double down on the Facebook ecosystem and have some really, really awesome scale there. Uh, TikTok just isn't there from a scale perspective. Like, yeah, a lot of people are on the platform, but um, it's just, it, I've never met anybody spending more than 15K a day on TikTok. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's really hard to get that effective spend above that. And then the influencer programs there, uh, uh, there's there's just so many people and there's some people to work with and we're still finding out the best way to do it, right? Like we probably sponsored 500 people on TikTok last month and, and I think we will, we will scale that up but we'll find better ways to work with people longer term. Uh, you know, I firmly believe that there's no new channels. I think people spend, you know, it's not uncommon to spend four to six hours a day on digital just like wasting your time, right? We'll see if Netflix rolls out, you know, a, a new ad platform, but we're reaching people most places they already are. So it's just getting better at those channels, right? So it's getting better organic social, right? I think we're building out a really awesome uh, Twitter presence. It's getting better at, you know, things like our influencer program and then getting better at post-click marketing, right? So like, you know, it, it's, it's the only driver of success the past two years has been creative, right? It's like, can you have better creative? Can, can you have a rapid content creation funnel, right? Like that's what it takes. And that's why I think bigger brands such an advantage right now is because I can have six to eight to 12 people in my company just think about creative all day long. And it takes so much creative to make Facebook or TikTok or anything work. Um, so the past two years has been about creative, but the next two years will be about creative and then what happens post-click, right? Like you can't affect how much it costs to reach a, you know, a thousand people, right? That's like Facebook setting those CPMs. 
but you can make the most out of every click. So it's like landing page testing, offer testing. That's like the next two years. And it's the boring shit. No one wants to talk about. Everyone wants to talk about our influencer program. Everyone wants to talk about like, oh, how can I do that, right? Because uh, it feels like a free money button. There are no free money buttons. You have to fix your website. That's like the next two years of, of the digital space. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that with the website, what's interesting is like how 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 segmented, how personalized do you go? with each funnel um when does it become a market that's just too small to even bother chucking through a funnel or does that no longer exist like how many landing pages are too many landing pages you know what type and um i'd be interested to know like i feel like e-commerce websites are great and shopify is definitely the default choice that but they're still somewhat you know landing page driven uh, there's still a set structure, collection page, product page, and things like that. Have you got any insights on um, any evolutions around the actual website itself? Is there anything that you're trying? Yeah, well, uh, I hate when tech becomes the default choice because then it becomes a shitty option. That happened to Yapo. I think it's happening to the email options right now. And then you, you watch them do predatory things. And like, look, I'm on Shopify. We have a good relationship with Shopify. But uh, they launched a firm checkout and they take 5% of the cart. Uh, they call it ShopPay or whatever. Uh, that's predatory. Like, I, And no one wants to say that because Shopify sponsors a bunch of shit or whatever. So anyway, I hate when things become the default choice. Uh, I'll also say that like, it's very much the the 2010 to 2020 version of e-commerce, right? Like you have your Shopify homepage, you have your Shopify collections page, you have your Shopify product page, and then you have your Shopify checkout. And even they know that's like, that's not going to be the future of commerce, right? Like they're investing really heavy in their Lincoln bio tool um, because like so much of commerce in the developing world doesn't happen inside of a traditional cart, right? It's like people on Instagram or WhatsApp or whatever doing like direct to direct sales. And that's a really, I mean, growing markets are where innovation happens. So uh, anyway, that's my Shopify rant. Uh, what I'll say is I talk to a lot of different merchants of a lot of different sizes, spending a lot of, you know, some spending all the way up to 100K a day, some spending, you know, 5K a day. And they're all, the, the default response is I drive people to my homepage or I drive people to my product page. And it's like, why do you think that's the best place to be driving cold traffic? And they're like, well, Shopify optimized it. I'm like, so you think Shopify understands your store and your customer and your offers better than you do, right? It's like, no, it's like the amount of customization happening on the web experience is zero. And that's because most stores are run by non-technical people and, and messing with the website feels scary, right? That's just like my experience. He's done an agency. That's what I remember seeing. Um, so I think there's a lot of things we can learn. The old school affiliate space would drive people to click funnel pages that have like checkout at the very bottom. And it was just like, here's 18 paragraphs of text of why you absolutely need this and make this purchase right now, right? We're not doing stuff like that. But I think what it shows us is other people have developed other ways to drive cold traffic to pages. And we should be learning and testing and, and experimenting with that. Um, I know it's not sexy. I know it's 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 difficult, but it's like the landing page is going to be uh, eighty to ninety percent of the battle, right? So you ask like like when is an audience too small? Well, what 
what Facebook and Apple breaking did was eliminate your ability to determine what your audience really is. Right. I think, I mean, but before we started recording, you told me you were vegan. Right. And so, uh, Facebook has no idea you're vegan anymore. That's like, that's like something that actually like really broke and it really hurt niche brands. Like if you were a vegan dog food company, you are fucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause you can't find your customer anymore. Right. Uh, where, you know, if you're, if you're going for a general audience and then just commercial optimizing, I think, you know, it can still find out maybe if you're married and like, it's getting better every day. So maybe you can find out that like your birthday's coming up soon. Right. So like it, it, it lost like the, the, the key context, right. But it still understands for the most part, what your code means about you, uh, like your profile, the way you interact, whatever. Right. Um, so I think, if you're going after something as, as niche as vegan dog food, I, I don't, I don't know how that's going to, you're going to make that work on paid social, but I still think you can build out um, a lot of different audiences. I think, you know, we're testing 15 different funnels at, at, at any given point. Right. And I think you should, you should spend at least $10,000 before you determine like uh, if an AB test is going to work or not. But the, the, that's odds of being a math problem, like driving enough clicks to get enough data to make a decision there. But um, the future is going to be personalization. There's a company called Wonderkin. We use them for email software. Like their vision of the web is that like uh, you go to a website like Nordstrom's and it's ha- it says, welcome back, Sean. Like here's exactly what you want to buy right now. And you and it knows everything about you. It knows what you like. It knows your colors, your sizes, whatever. And you just click yes. I don't know if we're going to get there soon because uh, of privacy stuff, but um, it definitely feels like, you know, if clicks become $30 per click, you better have a hundred percent conversion rate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so that's me going on a tangent. Yeah, I get it. I, there's so much to unpack there, but just on a couple of pieces, this, this show is not sponsored by Shopify. We are Shopify advocates. I like Shopify, but I come from a Magento past. So coming from there to Shopify is like, holy shit, there's nothing better than Shopify because Magento was so fucking bad. But, um, I uh, I want to dig into what what they they just launched a hundred new features and they made a big song and dance about that. There were some in there that really interested me, but this uh, shop pay checkout is obviously something that was already launched. But they've had some other initiatives in there, the one percent cash back and things like that. Don't know if you had a chance to delve into that, but I want to get your view on that and why you think that's a bit of a uh, uh, dodgy move. I don't know. Let's let's find out. And then also before I forget, um, I wanted to just talk about yeah the. When I look at the only the, the best person for me to evaluate is myself when I buy things online. And I certainly noticed in the last 18 months that I really wasn't visiting websites um, for really a shopping experience. And when I say a shopping experience, I talk about, I'm talking about like the total purchase journey, if that starts at brand awareness and ends at and like customer advocacy or whatever. I wasn't coming into, I wasn't a visiting a website early in that journey for brand awareness, to discover products, to discover what the brand was about. Like I was never just going to a website for that. I was literally going to the website to find the product that I wanted to buy because I'd seen it somewhere else or on someone else. Um, and it was purely transactional unless something put me off. So like, unless, unless something pissed me off on the website, then, then I'd leave. But other than that, I was literally there to complete the transaction and that was it. And also just to check that they were a good company or, you know, whatever. But there wasn't any like brand discovery. It was like product page. That's the one I wanted. Click, buy, done, gone. Um, and I just, I'm so interested by that behavior because 
that is just so prevalent. And I just guess the younger generations, Gen Z, and they, they don't shop like my parents used to shop, like I used to shop. I don't even shop like I used to shop. I find stuff on social media. I watch stuff. Um, I see stuff in stuff that I want and it appeals to me and then I go and buy it. So I just wonder if that is a trend that is going to continue and where, how relevant a full-blown Shopify website is going to be in the future versus just a transactional center for products. But you kind of see them building that out anyway. But yeah, go on, jump back on to, um, let's, let's, let's have a go at Shopify. No, look, every, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to fucking fight with anybody, right? Obviously, Toby's fucking a billionaire. If he cares what I have to say, the guy needs thicker skin. Um, and you're right, there is no alternative. Everyone I've talked to from, from Magento is like, yeah, this sucks, right? But it, it definitely feels like people like don't, like can't voice frustrations. It's like, bro, I give Shopify fucking like $40,000 a month. It's like, I'm allowed to be pissed off about shit. Uh, and like, I don't think that they're making quicker, better improvements than I have to, to satisfy merchants like me. Right. I look at leaving, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, look, I'd be really pissed off. If they shut my store down for, 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 for speaking out of that. <laughs> I think maybe that's some of the fear, but, uh, no, look, you you identified the exact problem that Shopify has and why Shopify stock will not go back up is Shopify is a transactional backend for social media. I will say that all fucking day long is that the data shows over 50% of transactions that happen on Shopify are starting on Instagram. Now it's maybe Instagram and, and TikTok or whatever, but it's really just a demand catcher for social media and they do not have an audience. They're like them building out the shop app and like them like doing audience lookalikes and them watching shop with Twitter. It's like, that's all just band-aids on the gaping wound that is they do not have an audience. They do not have a social media platform. Um, They should have bought Snapchat or Pinterest or Tumblr or something because Facebook will launch its own cart and it will be transactional, like in the way you're, descri- you're describing. They already have shop app. That, I mean, sorry, like Facebook shop. They already have Inst- Instagram shop, whatever, right? But if they really start pushing that, it's like, and like, what if Facebook offered me a million dollars a month in Facebook ad credit that I could only spend to drive to Instagram shop? That's, I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, because, because, Shopify is just my demand catcher. It's a very expensive demand catcher, right? They don't do my fulfillment. You know, they bought Deliver or whatever to to to, to try to start doing fulfillment because they're trying to own more of the e-commerce stack. But it doesn't matter if they don't own the audience, right? Why is Amazon such a powerful tool? Is because people go to Amazon to shop, right? Like that's why you need to be a merchant there because there's millions of people checking out. Anyway, that's that's why I I just don't know what the future of of Shopify looks like because you, you've your buying behavior changed, right? A Gen Z, oh no, they're getting referrals from friends way more. They're looking at influencers way more. They're going on TikTok way more. They're like, they their discovery. I mean, it's going to be the death of department stores. Like, they're not going to go on Nordstrom's and be like, what are the cool new brands I should shop? What are the new styles? It's like, no, they're coming with the decision already made, right? About who they are and what they want to buy. Uh, so I, yeah, I just I just don't know how Shopify can thrives in that environment they're always going to survive i mean people need transactional checkout you know what i mean like them going to lincoln bio is like them understanding they need they need to do that right um but 
how do they become a Amazon competitor without an audience, right? Like, and I think if Donald Trump didn't win the election, Facebook would have bought Shopify. I think, I think, I, I bet they've had those talks. I bet all the type, type of stuff, but because antitrust in America became so anti big tech and anti Facebook, uh, they just weren't able to make any acquisitions. And, and you've, you've watched their acquisition ramp just drop off completely. And that's, Facebook is just an M&A company. Uh, they haven't launched any good products since Facebook. So they just buy stuff. They just haven't hit like the Ray-Ban glasses. I think the biggest mistakes are uh, Facebook portal. Like that was like a, what the fuck is, who is this for? You know what I mean? Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, they, they've, they've bought a lot of things from 2010 to 2016 that they just shut down, but they own customer, the, 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 it's customer with a K it's like the, the customer service tool. WhatsApp is obviously going to be the future of the company. Instagram is obviously the smartest buy ever. So anyway, they have a couple, they, they have a couple wins, but yeah, they haven't, they haven't done good. They, they haven't done good engineering to make something new in a really long time. Right. Compare that to like Google, which like is actively always launching something, even if it doesn't get traction, they, 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 they launch a hundred <laughs> new projects a year. Yeah, what happened to Google X? They used to be Google X. They used to do some fucking wicked stuff with Google X, like just chucking random stuff into space. And they had some really crazy stuff to do with like regenerate um, sustainable electricity. And I don't know if they're still going. Google X always Google Ventures. I don't know. They're doing some interesting stuff. I don't know. It kind of feels like sometimes though, like when companies get corporate, uh, I've, I've worked with corporate companies that have tried to become um, like, well, ventures, yeah, tried to look at kind of doing interesting new concepts and bringing them to market and things like that. And it's just so hard with the corporate red tape and things get shut down so quickly, even with a culture like Facebook's, I can imagine it's still quite difficult to um, to get things out into the open market where where they can be tested or not fail fast or not you know I, I feel like they have to be pretty well-formed ideas before facebook will let them out the gate nowadays yeah i've talked to people very high up in google uh because they're uh, upset about youtube not dominating the short form video market and they're like look we know what we have to do i just don't know if we're going to be able to do it because of internal politics like uh you know, you have to think that YouTube is used by a billion people every day. So like a, a, a UI change can have a, a big drastic impact, you know what I mean, across all these people. So, um, yeah, look, I think that sounds like hell. We're working at a company where, you know, you, I say it's one website and employs probably 100,000 people. You know what I mean? That sounds, that sounds like hell. <laughs> well, that brings me on to your team because um, I know you come from an agency background, which is interesting in itself. So well, just want to, for context, can you just give everyone listening a quick high-level financial overview of Ridge as it stands today? Yeah, uh, it's a nine-figure seller. We have 55 uh, US-based staff. We employ probably another 50 people globally, if that's like on the manufacturing level or, you know, we have a, most people who join Ridge get an assistant of some sort. So, you know, uh, just somebody to uh, check their emails, make like just just remove any mundane tasks that, that gets in the way of workflow. That's where we're able to keep such a lean team. And yeah, I mean, never raised money, profitably held. I joined the company because I owned an agency business with my CMO, Connor. You know, Ridge was a 
large client of ours, but Ridge was very uniquely ran that like they only had two employees. They wanted to outsource everything to us. And that worked really well for a couple of years, but I started charging them hundreds of thousands of dollars every single month. Uh, Cause I'm like, look, we're doing a customer service. We're doing a product. We're doing like X, Y, Z, whatever. Right. Uh, so we merged. So I came on, uh, I run the thing as a CEO. The two original founders are in the product roles. My CMO Connor is still my CMO. We're in the, we're in the marketing side of the business. And that was a couple of years ago. And, yeah, still, still, still growing double digits every single month. So we're still a lean team, and we're trying. We're trying to figure out like how we want to approach international expansion, right? So um, we we very early on, probably 2018, set up dedicated stores in the UK, the EU. Actually, this is before Brexit, so it was just in the EU, and we were able to ship the stuff to the UK uh, and Australia and Canada. So like all the major English speaking markets. Um, we have a dedicated storefront with localized inventory, right? Because we thought going back to Shopify, right? A merchant of our size back then, they didn't have a multi-currency option. And we thought it'd be better to have people check out on their own currency and get stuff shipped from their own country or their own region or whatever, yeah, for sure. right? Uh, like you just get stuff way quicker. It makes returns way easier and just like tries to build some sort of loyalty, right? Um, so we set up all those and it was a huge pain in the ass because you have to essentially get your entire product catalog to five places, right? Uh, and then Brexit happened. So we had to open a new facility in the UK and we've had to switch facilities in the UK a couple of times for various different reasons. Uh, but now what we're seeing is, look, the beginning of the year was really hard because uh, the conflict in Ukraine, right? Like people had no idea what was going to happen in Europe. Um, but we've seen it just intense growth in our international markets in the past, you know, really since COVID for the past year, especially the past couple of months, it's been insane, right? Like we're talking multi hundred percent year over year growth um, as we start building awareness in those markets. So, uh, and that's just off of wallets. Uh, we call it channel expansion in the future. We're trying to launch all of the things and all of the markets on the same day, right? Like even if you bought from our UK store, it probably only has half the wallets the U.S. store has, right? So we're going to move way more stuff over there. Like our, you know, we have a whole premium line that goes for two hundred or three hundred dollars, right? On, on the U.S. store, we're going to bring all of that over to all those international markets because um, it just seems like the, the demand's really there. Uh, and yeah, man, the key thing. Uh, so we launched a key. It's called the the, the Ridge Key Case. Uh, it's like it just kind of looks like a knife, but you put your keys in it and. You know, there's a couple of players in the key market, right? There's KeyBar, there's KeySmart, there's OrbitKey, there's all these companies. Uh, all the data I have shows that we beat all of them in the first month we launched it. I mean, the thing the thing is, really started to breathe life in this idea that like Ridge Ridge is a materials company. We can we can reinvent everyday things and start selling way more stuff. So the the, the product lines coming out are going to be crazy. We're, we're basically whatever Mont Blanc makes, we're gonna we're gonna double down and make. I I've got a I've got to get an extra invite made for my wedding for my locksmith because the amount of fucking times i've lost my keys and locked myself out of the house she literally she's on speed though in my mobile and uh every time she comes around does the same exact thing it gets me into the house so yeah like you said international expansion with the shopify release of uh international shopify from one store does that help you are you excited about that at all or not I don't think I don't think we're gonna. I, I think it's too late for us. We've we've already set up and established separate storefronts in all of these markets, right? Like, you probably bought from RidgeWallet.co.uk, right? So it's like you you hit our main website and it redirects you to to the UK store, um, and we've already have landed inventory in that country. 
So I don't think I don't think we're gonna make the switch back to just like selling everything under Ridge.com, and then when you get to check out, you can choose UK, and then maybe your stuff ships from there. I just I just feel like we've already built our solution out, and it's look it's clunky. Like I don't like having five stores. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's also I mean, it's really re- like the UK and Canada are very easy to operate in. The EU is incredibly difficult to operate in, and like. It's a single market in name only. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, goods can transit across borders as much as I mean, w- w- without duties. But when you import things in, every single country is like, oh, pay your VAT right now, right? So I, I don't know if that bores the audience or whatever, but international expansion actually is into the EU specifically is hella expensive. And we've already done it. So I don't, I don't know if we want to try to re- rework that system. Mm, yeah, sounds fair enough. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, selling in Germany is completely different. Selling in France is completely different. Selling, you know, it's just, you have to treat each territory as its own entity. It's really difficult to look at it as just the EU, um, like you said, mainly from a financial perspective, tax, shipping rules and things like that. And when you pay and what you pay does change. Um, a lot of companies in the UK yeah, are just to expand into Europe just exactly because of that reason. Yeah. And it's, it's really close. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. The, the VAT thing is incredibly difficult to overcome. And yeah, there's obviously all those countries have different languages. I think, I think like, yeah, a lot of them shop and, and browse the web in English. I think it's like, you know, Germany has the lowest English penetration rate, but like uh, Belgium, it's like 90% of all website activity happens in English. So like it's a, it's a lot easier there, but they all prefer to check out differently. And that's something that like people don't understand coming in. It's like, uh, even in the UK, you guys have different checkout preferences than Canada or the U S and in Germany, no one uses credit cards. Everyone's trying to do bank transfers. And like, I, I don't know if you've never tried to sell in Germany, you have no idea what that is, but they, they want to connect their bank account and pay for something immediately. It's just, it's a way different experience. <laughs> I have all, I have almost no insight into the world outside of e-commerce, right? So it's like all of this was new to me. I have no idea what people do stuff the way they do it. But like, you know, we're expanding to Japan and Japanese notorious, Japan's notoriously the hardest market to expand into because checkout preferences are so, so there's a 0% return rate in Japan. No one returns anything, right? But if the package is damaged at all, like in shipment, if anything about it is upset, they just refuse it at the door, right? They're like, oh, no, no we're not, not going to accept that. That's their return rate, right? It's like 10 to 15% of packages get refused. And then the most preferred way of checking out, this was pre-COVID, so this was like 2018 data, is to, uh, you click checkout, you get a number, you write the number down and you go to a 7-Eleven and you pay for that in cash. <laughs> like, 7-Eleven is like the point of checkout for your e-com store. That is the most preferred way. That's what people want to do. So it's just entirely different. And so that's something you got to deal with. So as a team of 50 people and as a CEO managing that team, despite however many hours I know you put in a day, like how do you keep the cogs turning and how does it not become a massive fucking pile of opportunity that never gets executed? Yeah, look, man. If I had the solution, I think I think we'd be the next Tesla. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm working through that every single day, right? Um, we do look. It's it's. I have a problem of always wanting to do everything, right? If I if I have a good idea, I see a good idea, I hear a good idea, I'm like, oh, let's do that right now, right? And so I have to have an executive team around me that's like, okay, this is step one, this is step two, this is step three, right? Um, so we'll talk about like you know selling to women first, right? Like 
Yes, right now we sell 90 plus percent of our wallets to men. There is an equal opportunity to sell a ton of wallets to women. We have to identify and tackle that. That's the plan for next year, right? It's making a dedicated hire whose whole project is coming out with getting market research and then developing products that will satisfy whatever women need to see out of a rich wallet, right? My wife's also a UGC creator. She has a, she has a 30,000 followers on TikTok and she often just like shows her a uh, hot girl bag, which is just like whatever girls carry around in the bag every day and her wallet's in there and she gets tons of comments asking about how they can buy one, right? So there's definitely a market. We're definitely gonna have to take care of that. Then it's the international thing. It's like, yeah, we've been in the UK for two years now, right? Okay, when do we bring the keys over, the bags over? you know, whatever else we expand, right? Getting that supply chain figured out and getting that stuff over there timely is like the next six months plan. We have to figure out how to do that, right? And I have a person, Kendall, her whole job is just to to, to, to do exactly that, right? Um, and then, yeah, and then it's not even bringing up like even more channel expansion, right? It's like wholesale internationally, right? We do wholesale in the US, we're in like 20 stores in Canada, we're in no stores in Europe. And it's like, okay, how do we get boots on the ground to get our products in physical locations across Europe? Uh, and then it's category expansion, right? It's like, it's like, uh, it's like, how do we make a, a whole list of new things and plug them into all of these, these systems? So we're working on that right now, uh, building a matrix out of like, okay, when something new gets finished, how does it go to the marketing team? How does it go to the channel expansion team? How does that get done? It's a work in progress, man. Uh, that's, and that's not even all of the crazy things that we have going on, right? Like we bought a website called everydaycarry.com, which is like a uh, content community website. You know what I mean? It's like 500,000 plus visits every single month of people who just love gear. And it's like, how do we best utilize that into the rich ecosystem? And it's like, I'm, I'm actively looking at buying new things because we're entering into a period where e-com defaults are com- becoming more and more common, right? Like I've, I posted that touch and model around a business, right? They, they're defaulting on a bunch of vendors and ridges rich. We have a ton of cash so I can buy something. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Maybe some payroll brand, maybe it's whatever else. So uh, anyway, yeah, I got, I got too much going on and I wish I had more hours and more time to get it done. Like when you take out, so like when you're early in a brand, your biggest concern is surviving the week or surviving the month. Does that go away? I want to go back and unpack some of that stuff, but does that go away? Like when, when did you get to a point where you weren't worried about cash flow and you weren't worried about, okay, yeah, profit's important, growth's important, all of these things are important, but capital takes a back seat and you're focusing on just building this brand. Like when does that switch happen or does it ever happen? Are you always thinking about cash? Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know if I ever get to that point. I mean, <laughs> literally I think about every single day I check, were we profitable the day before? Uh, and the reason we have 50 people it's like, yeah, we're a very lean team who executes very highly, but it's like, I do not want to increase monthly burn rate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, we've never raised money. We've been profitable since day one. So I would like to continue that trajectory of being profitable. So, no, I mean, it's it's balancing the the realities of your cash flow day by day and the potential of the future, right? And like, that makes you have to shrink the art. The, the timeline to return on any sort of investment, right? Like it's spending into the UK. It's like, okay, what's the upfront cost? That was the timeline to return. And like, do we think we'll have a better conversion rate or easier checkout experience or, or you know, better customer experience, whatever it takes uh, to actually get that timeline to return down as short as possible. Um, and yeah, and th- that's, 
I mean, luckily it's not that hard, right? Like people, people like want to raise money to, to launch econ businesses or brands or whatever else. And it's like, look, people have been buying things for like 10,000 years. It's like literally the oldest form of business is to sell something for a profit. So it is hard. There's a lot of complexities, especially when you're launching new categories or what else, but you just have to like not get away from your core, which is I need to sell something and make money doing it. Right. Um, and I think the worst thing to happen to e-commerce was that in 2010, we all thought we were venture backable and like, we're going to have the LTV of a SaaS business. And it's like, nope, just try to sell something and make money. And it's as simple as that. It's very, it's very right curve. You don't want to be stuck in the middle. I love that we're going to see some like areas that people just hadn't been messing with, messed with to, to find these kind of more, maybe not at scale, but smaller pockets of, of dependable return. And uh, I don't know how that works for a nine figure brand because, you know, everything you do is like at scale. So it needs to be, you know, there's no, is there, you know, there's no point in you going after a 500 person newsletter because it's just not going to make a dent. But I mean, I guess enough of them maybe would, but I, I'd love to hear are you doing any kind of like alternative tactics that you can share where you're going after them, maybe not like mainstream advertising routes, performance marketing. Yeah, like we've always sponsored a lot of newsletters. I think I think it's a very good place to find niche audiences, right? Like, you know, we do the, the big ones, Morning Brew, uh, whatever other large, I mean, like Rolling Stone, GQ, whatever else. But we're also in like a ton of really small ones, right? And like, I think we have an ag- agency, Media Mobilize, that like helps us place those, right? Because like they have relationships with all of these different ones. But, um, you know, I once talked to, the CMO of like a, one of like the large telemedicine startups, right? I think like a Hams or a Roman or something like that. Um, and they were asking us about influencer and they're like, oh yeah, it's not worth our time unless we can spend $10 million a month. And I'm like, oh, there's no way. <laughs> like, you're not going to be able to spend $10 million a month doing this. Um, so it definitely scale ends up being a problem the bigger you get. But for us, like we are still so tactical that like we're still signing TikTok influencers with 10,000 followers. You know what I mean? We, 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 we try to keep it really low to the ground. Um, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not seeing anything tactically day by day that I'm like, this will make you money. Right. It's like, it's, I think we're past that area, you know, two or three years ago, I would have said influencer, but now crypto has gotten influencers and the whole space is like going like this. It's, it's impossible for a new econ brand to jump in there and, and, and uh, see profitable returns, I think. Um, so may- maybe the newsletters, right? I think I think small TV, I think you can do, use an agency like Tatari to buy TV and you can run TVs for as little as 500 bucks a day or something. And we've seen some good like little unlocks there. Direct mail is the same way. I think uh, you can run direct mail campaigns and see really profitable last click sales off that. But uh, yeah, there's nothing. There's, there, I mean, I wish, I wish we were in the world where I could give you a whole list of ways to to print money, but I think I think the 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 money to marketing funnel is a lot harder than it used to be. Mm. Do you do much of your own creative and content? Like I think Mr. Beast kind of YouTube style stuff. Obviously he has a huge audience and a lot of attention. Have you ventured down that kind of road about how you can become your own production studio and what that content might look like more of maybe entertainment versus just like I see a lot of reviews and I see a lot of comparisons and I see a lot of people throwing ridge wallets at hard things and the hard things breaking. But have you thought about doing that in-house and building out like programs? Dude, I would love, I would love to. Uh, 
I often bring up Mr. Beast because um, as marketers, we should learn what the best content looks like. And he has a 30 minute video that gets watched by 80% of people all the way through. And that's through five ad breaks. You know what I mean? People are sitting there and watching an entire video when they can click anywhere else. You know what I mean? They're on the internet. There's literally anything on there. And they're sitting there and watching it through ad breaks because it's that good of content. And when was the last time anybody watched half of your ads? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, no, people are trying to skip them. They're trying to get them out of the way. Right. So it's like, if a company can figure out how to make ads as engaging as Mr. Beast videos, they will be a trillion dollar company. Right. Like that's what it comes down to. And like, I think Dr. Squatch got close. Like, Oh, we, we, you know, we shoot funny ads or whatever, but you know, it's still agencies, you know, raindrop mostly, which is an awesome agency shooting, getting this stuff out there. Um, so anyway, a, a brand with that that's their DNA. That's why I think creator brands are going to be the most interesting development in the next 10 years. It's like Mr. Beast and Feastables or, you know, Emma Chamberlain and her coffee or, you know, Logan Paul and, uh, KSI with their prime hydration. Like if they actually take it seriously and become like, no, I'm in business first and I'm a creator, I'm going to take all the creator skills and put it into ads. I think they'll be unstoppable. You know, and that's kind of why you know we we, we bought everydaycarry.com is to is to try to uh, achieve that, right? It's like a strong uh, company of like writers and people who care about gear, and like we will be making you know way more videos in the future and and you know making making their social way better. But that's that's our authentic approach to it. Um, I'm never going to be a Mr. Beast. I'm not that charismatic, but uh, we have we have some people on staff who maybe can. Like you said, I think Mr. Beast is fairly charismatic, but I, I think, I don't know what it is. He obviously has a natural draw and he, I know he spent most of his life studying YouTube, you know, it's, he didn't just walk into his success, um, but it is genuinely just him and his mates. And now they've got, you know, tremendous funding and they make interesting, silly, but also incredibly entertaining content. And even like you said, the ads are just so well-placed done by him in such a funny or original way. It's just really endearing. So I love that for any brand, really, because it's so easy to produce content um, at any size. I think that's a really good long-term play is to invest in entertainment and weave your products like a golden thread through that entertainment um, without without making it uh, seem forced. If, if you were to do this all again and money was no objective, so, you know, I don't actually know that you are driven by money, but let's just say that money is no objective. Uh, there is no money that exists in the world. Uh, would you rather be running a small team of 10 people in a small brand or would you rather be running a brand of the size that you're currently running? Yeah, I, I'd prefer to run a large company. Uh, money money isn't the driver. What the driver is, is I really like to do cool things. I've been a Mr. Beast fan for years and I'm a 28-year-old man, right? I think his audience is typically 13-year-olds, but... Uh, there's nothing as compelling as he built that up in South Carolina with his friends into a company that gets more views than Disney. You know what I mean? Um, so that's doing cool shit that's never been done before. That's that's the real driver for me, right? Um, and that's easier to do when you're a bigger company, I think. Why did you start the agency when you started the agency? What what what, what was the opportunity cost of doing that? Or did you just, you know, you knew you wanted to start an agency? No, if you're listening to this and you're young and you're poor, uh, learn a skill and then find people who will pay you for that skill. Uh, that's really what it came down to is I, I worked in 
you know, traditional retail and then digital for a, a couple of years. I got a job as like a director of operations at an e-com company. I did some consulting, got a job as director of strategy at an agency. And then I thought, oh, I could just do this way better. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the opportunity cost was very low because you can always get another job. Uh, you know, my rent was $1,400 and my co-founder Connor was like, oh, I'll just live in your living room. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, do, do those things while you're young, when, when you can take risk and you can lose everything. You know what I mean? There's, there was the, the early days of like, there was times we were massively in debt, $25,000, $50,000, whatever. Right. Um, and we totally overcame it. Right. Because uh, you don't know any better. <laughs> so if you're young, learn any skill, find people to pay for that skill. And that's like the quickest way out of poverty or, 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 or building a business. Um, so that's why I made the agency. Uh, and yeah, I think me and Connor often talk about this. I think we made the correct decision in the moment every time. Uh, that's all, that's all, that's all you can do. It's just like whatever moment you're in trying to make the correct decision. Cause in retrospect, yeah, we should have put all the money in Bitcoin and just worked at a bowling alley. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like th- that would have been a better outcome, but, uh, we didn't know that in the, in the moment we made the, the correct decision, we think. Do you back up your Shopify stores? Uh, I think so. That, uh, we have a VP of Dev. He's my brother. I can ask him if, if you want me to, <laughs> but I think so. And do you think you could have got to where you are without Connor? No. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> he texted me yesterday and he's like, yeah, dude, we are the dream team. <laughs> He's like, Sean, strategy, Connor, everything else. <laughs> and that's very much how, how our relationship works. So, what's, uh, what's, yeah. what's the biggest fight you guys have had? What was it over? <laughs> uh, real quick, yes, we do use Rewind. It's on our Shopify store. So thank you, sponsor. The biggest, the biggest fight we've ever got into. Connor and I also live together for four years i think so while we were building the company around the company we lived together for four years uh i i can think of two fights uh the first one is i spent four thousand dollars of our company money to buy daniel the founder of ridge a wedding present i got him a couch and uh this was before they bought us and connor was really pissed i didn't ask them about spending the four thousand dollars <laughs> but now connor and i own big chunks of ridge so who fucking got the ROI there? Connor? All it took was a couch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, we were living together during COVID and uh, our his fiance and my wife were living with us too in a two-bedroom apartment. And he, there was animals. I mean, it was just, it was a very high-stress situation. And my brother came over and he was really pissed off that uh, someone... We an outsider was exposed to our COVID bubble. So those are the two fights I remember distinctly. And what is the best moment you've had with Connor? What was one of those times where you just looked at each other and went, "Holy shit, dude, we own the world." Oh man, there's 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 a ton of great times. You know, we uh, starting the agency, signing our first clients, uh, all the networking we had to do to get that done. I mean, uh, there was tons of going to Magic Castle, going to New Year's Eve parties, uh, you know, uh, I, I, we just recently were in Utah together. So, I mean, there's, there, there's, there's, there's a tons of great times you have with your co-founder along the way. Um, yeah, man. I mean, 
I'm going to his wedding. He'll be at my wedding. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great friendship. I mean, our first million dollar day was awesome. I mean, the, the early days, it was just every single win was just high fives. So yeah, tons, tons of great times. You should have him on the pod. Yeah, he'll, I feel like he'll have a win. everyone talks about Connor and this guy. Uh, I, I'm sure we, we need proof that he fucking exists at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. No, no. And he'll, he's, he's a way more, um, subdued guy he'll he'll tell exactly how it is he'll 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 get into extreme detail about stuff so uh look we're 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 definitely good good sides of the coin there yeah it sounds like you guys balance each other out perfectly from what you said what's the plan with ridge for you guys you and connor i feel like you two are doing everything together for life now so what where does that journey take you do you think you look i'll let let connor speak to speak for himself when he's on the pod i would like to uh, I think Ridge is a great business. I think we have a four-year plan to get bought for over a billion dollars. I think I think that's that's a very clear trajectory. That like when the markets start churning, um, you know, I think we're we're growing. We're we're taking market share. We're eliminating a lot of the risk the business has, like being single SKU, single product, whatever. Like you have to diversify out just to satisfy people, prove to them your lifestyle brand. Um, I think Yeti buys us in twenty twenty six for a billion dollars. Um, if anyone from Yeti's listening, like, look, I know, you, I know you guys need us. I listen to the earning calls. You have an incredibly boring business, and it will not survive without uh, some 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 fresh ideas. Um, but then we we get bought. Uh, look, I I I'm not really doing it for money because I think I could stop working today and still be fine, right? So the next thing I want to start is a uh, trillion dollar company, right? I think I think Ridge is Ridge is awesome. It's a great business, but. Uh, yeah, there's a really large TAM, but like the consumer space, the physical goods space is really, really hard, right? I mean, the biggest company in this space is LVMH, right? And uh, they're worth 400 billion, but like they're not an Apple or whatever, right? So uh, no, no, I, I would like to run the largest, biggest company doing the biggest, craziest things. And I think Connor would like to uh, maybe run like a small newsletter. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I, think, I think he's... he's We'll, 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 we'll see where he ends up, but uh, I think I think he wants to niche down. I want, I want to niche up. Hey, maybe you and Mr. B should get together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've had the chance to meet him a couple times. I don't think I'm ready yet. I think I, I think I got to wait till I'm like 30, so I don't, I don't fan out. <laughs> that would be embarrassing for both of us. Such a fun episode, and um, I love talking everything Ridge, but also just meeting you. You're you're a super cool guy. I really appreciate your time. Awesome, man. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, can't wait to get Connor on the pod, and then we'll get all the rest of my friends on the pod. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll all share this common experience. Oh, dude, thank you so much. All right, thank you.